Welcome to Heal Yourself with the Law of Attraction. I'm your host, Tekla, and I'm ready to guide you on a transformative journey of holistic health and self-discovery using the power of the Law of Attraction. We've all heard tales of manifesting fortunes and jet set adventures, but this, this is a different journey. Here we focus on achieving abundant health, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. With the Law of Attraction, I've healed chronic pain, overcome a diagnosed mental illness, and reverse PCOS. We're all about realigning our energies to manifest our full potential. As we focus inward, raising our vibration, you'll be astounded by the ease at which the universe responds. Once you focus on yourself, the rest just falls into place. My goal for each weekly episode is to provide you with practical, easy to apply steps that you can weave directly into your daily routine. Together, we'll navigate the path to achieving your own health and wellness goals. So let's dive right in. Hello, my wellness witches. I'm your host, Tekla. This is Heal Yourself with the Law of Attraction. And today, I'm excited to report that I finally have my sweet little puppy home with me. After 30 days in quarantine, he's here and it finally feels like this lost piece of the puzzle is fitting into place. My whole life is here in Sydney now, and it is such a huge relief. I didn't really realize how much the waiting was weighing on me, and it felt like this part of me was still over there in the U.S. all of this time, and it's been almost nine months since I left him. It's been like this hole in my heart this entire time, and it's finally full. I think it's been really hard to completely move on from that life until now, and I'm loving having him home. He went to the beach for the first time and he fucking loved it. He loves the water, he's a big swimmer, and he's absolutely no fear. I love that about him. He's the best and I'm so grateful for that this week. I am so thankful he's home with me and I can make up for these last few months and just give him the best summer ever. I will be blasting our adventures all over my Instagram story, so if you want to see him in action, head over to Heal Yourself with LOA to catch up with us there. And feel free to tell me he's the cutest dog ever because that will be very well received. Okay, on to today's topic. Today we're talking about perfectionism and how many of us strive to achieve perfection in our everyday life. I am sure more than a few of you can relate to this topic. I have been a serial perfectionist most of my life. I vividly remember feeling this innate need to just be the best at whatever I decided to take on whether it was school, sports, work, even just a hobby. There was this constant and relentless drive for perfection. And on one hand, it pushes you to strive for greatness, which can be fantastic. But on the flip side, it can lead to this never-ending cycle of stress and frustration because you're setting these unrealistic standards. And it can get out of hand real quick. It's like trying to hit a bullseye with a blindfold on. And any tiny imperfection or setback can feel like a major catastrophe. It can make you feel like a huge failure. Someone once said this to me about perfectionism and I've never forgotten it. They said, perfectionism is like chasing a rainbow. You get close, but it always seems to move further away. On the surface level, this obsession with perfection appears like it's about wanting to be great, to be the best. But quite often, it's actually linked to a fear of messing up a fear of not measuring up to others, or craving that gold star of approval from the world. Why does this happen to us? Well, the pressure to succeed and maintain an impeccable image is literally inescapable. 
we're surrounded by societal influences that uphold these ideals. From social media to glossy Photoshop magazine covers to celebrity role models, we're constantly exposed to images and stories of individuals who appear to have it all together. They've got the perfect career, the perfect body, the perfect life, the perfect relationship, or so it seems. This continuous exposure to these seemingly perfect standards can make us feel like we're falling short if we're not striving for that perfection ourselves. We start to believe that perfection isn't just this lofty goal. It's a prerequisite for achieving success and happiness. Look, society plays a huge role, but it's not the only contributing factor. Family values and the way we were raised also has a huge impact. If you grew up in a family where your parents were all about setting really high standards and constantly expecting you to be the best, and maybe being a tad critical, it can leave a mark. You might have felt this pressure to meet their expectations, to gain their love or approval. Or on the flip side, some families are all about celebrating achievements, no matter how small. They're your biggest cheerleaders, and in some ways, that's awesome. But sometimes it can make you think that perfection is the only way to keep that praise coming. You start believing that anything less than perfect isn't worth celebrating. That has a generational component, too. It's not uncommon to see patterns of perfectionism repeating across parents, children, and even grandchildren. If we grew up in a household where excellence was highly praised, where parents, grandparents, and even older siblings held themselves to these really high standards, it sets a precedent. You might have felt the expectation to follow suit and maintain those high standards as if it's almost like a family tradition. There can also be a cultural component to this too. It's widely known that many Asian cultures emphasize this diligence, discipline, and this never-ending pursuit of excellence. These cultures tend to place a strong emphasis on educational achievement and professional success. This attitude also is quite common in immigrant families. Immigrant families often face significant challenges and sacrifices when relocating to a new country. And as a result, there are often these heightened expectations for success, particularly in terms of education and career achievements. Immigrant families can place a strong emphasis on their children's academic performance and their prospects as a way to secure a better future. All of these influences we've been talking about, they're all external, right? But it's also important to know that perfectionist tendencies are a product of who we are, our own personality and our own life experiences. So what's actually happening when we start to adopt these perfectionist tendencies? Often subconsciously and consciously, we start to embark on this quest, thinking it's the key to a better life. We say things to ourselves like, well, if I'm perfect, then that means nothing can go wrong and I'll be happy. We internalize this idea that we need to be perfect to gain approval, admiration, and love from others, whether that be friends, family, society, or even total strangers. It becomes our strategy for seeking validation, and we're willing to go to great lengths to protect ourselves. However, in reality, this relentless pursuit of perfection is fucking exhausting. It leads to anxiety, stress, and feelings of inadequacy when we can't meet the impossibly high standards that we've set for ourselves. It's like running a race without a finish line, and it can take a toll on our mental and emotional well-being. So how has this shown up for me in my life? 
It showed up in some really obvious ways, but I'm going to talk about the more subtle behaviors. The first thing was this black and white thinking, this all or nothing mentality. It's either perfect or it's not. And there's no in between. There's no room for flexibility. There's no deviation from the plan because that's a failure. I'll give you a couple of examples. I would make a schedule at the start of the week. And if I didn't stick to that schedule, I would feel like the whole week was a huge failure and it was ruined. If I didn't work out when I planned or run errands when I planned, if I skipped a social event because I wasn't feeling up to it, or if I needed to work late and couldn't walk my dog that day, I was honestly riddled with guilt and anxiety about it. And I know I was setting myself up to fail because life isn't that predictable. I remember actually feeling relief sometimes when I had a friend call and cancel plans on me. If I didn't want to go and I canceled, it would feel like a failure. But if someone else canceled on me, it wasn't my fault and I wasn't failing. Later on in life, at the height of my eating disorder, this all-or-nothing thinking creeped in then too when I was trying to adhere perfectly to a diet. I would think, well, I've already messed up eating perfectly today because I decided to go and eat out and now I may as well ruin the rest of the day and just start again perfectly tomorrow. Another really problematic behavior for me was procrastination. It's like a coping mechanism for a lot of perfectionists that often stems from this underlying fear of failure. The logic goes something like this. If you don't start a task, then you can't fail at it. So you end up filling your day with these seemingly important but ultimately meaningless tasks, all in an attempt to avoid tackling the real challenge at hand. It's a form of risk aversion that perfectionists often employ, and I remember vividly these moments when I had an important company-wide deliverable due or presentations that are looming on the horizon. Just the thought of starting those tasks felt like an enormous hurdle for me. Instead of diving right in, I'd find myself aimlessly wandering around my house doing laundry, vacuuming, or obsessively cleaning anything and everything I could. It was as if I was using these mundane tasks as a distraction to avoid the pressure of the work that I know needed to be done. Now I know that procrastinating allowed me to delay the inevitable judgment of my work, and as long as I didn't start, I could hold on to this illusion that everything would turn out perfectly when I did do it. It's a deceptive and counterproductive cycle that so many perfectionists find themselves caught in. At the height of my perfectionism, I also experienced a lot of social anxiety. I second-guessed my social interactions all of the time. After a social interaction, like a simple conversation with friends or colleagues, I'd often find myself coming home and subjecting every detail of that exchange to intense scrutiny. I'd replay the conversation in my mind, analyzing every contribution I made with a fine tooth comb. Did I say the right things? Did I come across as knowledgeable or friendly enough? Did I inadvertently offend someone with my words or my tone? The questions were endless and they didn't stop at the content of my speech. They extended to my body language and my facial expressions. I'd also often wonder how people reacted to what I said. Did they think I was smart or competent? Did they find my comments interesting or relevant? Or on the flip side, did they silently judge me for anything I'd said? It was as though I was constantly seeking validation from others, relying on their reactions to determine my own self-worth. And this post-social interaction analysis was fucking draining and exhausting. What a pointless use of energy, honestly. 
It was like being trapped in a never-ending loop of self-critique, always seeking to find a fault in my own behavior and interactions. The last thing I want to talk about was my really intense self-doubt. I didn't just question my social interactions. I questioned basically every decision I made. Whether it was a big decision, like where to rent an apartment, or something as minor as choosing what to eat for lunch, I would have that doubt just creep in. Did I make the right choice? Was that the best path forward? These questions just revolved on a loop playing over and over in my mind. But what was truly maddening was that even after I'd made a decision, that doubt didn't just magically evaporate. It lingered. I'd revisit my choices, repeatedly scrutinizing them for flaws or any signs of imperfection. It was as if I was on this never-ending quest to find evidence that I'd made the wrong call somewhere, somehow. And trust me, if you're looking long enough and hard enough, you're going to find something you didn't do perfectly in your eyes or that so-called mistake that you made. So how did I overcome this perfectionist mindset? Well, honestly, I just got really fucking tired. I got so tired of trying to do everything right all of the time. I also got so tired of overanalyzing every single part of my day and I just needed freedom from that mental and emotional burden. And that's when I realized that the fun and exciting and most joyful parts of life, those aren't planned. They're not scheduled. You don't control them or organize them and make sure you do them exactly at 8 a.m. every single morning. And after discovering the law of attraction and learning about the power of the universe, I kind of just had this moment where I knew that I needed to give up that control. I needed to come back to what my core values are. I need to reevaluate my time and energy and where I was investing that and what the value was that that thing was providing me in return. Was this journey toward perfectionism actually making me happy? Absolutely not. I also realized that we're not supposed to be perfect. Part of the human experience is making mistakes and learning from them. That's how you grow and evolve into the version of you that's aligned with your highest self. Imagine for a second going through life and actually not making a single mistake. How boring would that be? Life is fun because it's unpredictable and good things happen to us all the time and we can't control those things. And we don't want to. The things you scrutinize most about yourself, I guarantee nobody else notices. And if they do, it's because they're seeing something in you that they don't like about themselves. They're already hyper-aware about it, and that's the only reason they've noticed. So it's not even really about you in any way at that point. I just learned to let go, and a big part of that was trying to live life by the 80-20 rule. So let's get into that. The 80-20 rule is all about balance. Essentially, 80% of your time is devoted to practicing these mindful habits and behaviors that contribute positively to your life. This portion of your routine is about structure and intentionality. It's where you consciously make choices that serve your well-being and your goals. For example, during this 80%, you're likely to focus on eating mindfully, prioritizing regular movement if that's important to you, and dedicating time and effort to your career or personal development. Again, this structured 80% gives your day and your week some sense of order and purpose. It's where you make these deliberate choices that align with your values and your interests. You're creating a routine that serves as a foundation for a fulfilling life. Now let's talk about that remaining 20%. 
That part is all about flexibility and embracing life's spontaneity. It's your chance to break away from that structure. During this 20%, you allow yourself to do things that aren't on the schedule. It's just about pursuing activities that bring you pure joy and engaging in unexpected adventures and simply just like going with the flow. It's where you might decide on a whim to go for a hike or take a leisurely bike ride or stroll through the park simply because the weather is just perfect and it feels right in that moment. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how this presents in my life so you understand a little bit more. The first one that comes to mind is my Saturday morning gluten-free almond croissant. So some context. This year, I learned about the importance of eating my foods in the right order. And I learned that after reading The Glucose Revolution, which I loved. It's a book. It's in the show notes if you're interested. I'm not going to get into that too much, but the idea is that you eat your greens and veggies first, then fats, then proteins, then starches and sweets last. This helps to manage glucose spikes, which can cause hormonal issues in women. And as you know, that's something I've been managing actively over the last few years. The drawback is that sweet treats for breakfast are just completely, totally out of the question. They lead to a huge glucose spike really early in the day, and that can cause issues throughout the rest of the day, too. But you know what? I found this gluten-free almond croissant at a local bakery near me, and it brings me so much joy. So once a week, I just go there and get a delicious coffee and enjoy my croissant. Am I going to get a glucose spike? 150%. Do I care? No. I just let it go. It's in the 20% and it makes me happy and that's what life is about. Some of you might be thinking, well, if it makes you happy, why don't you do it every day? Well, there are consequences to that and I value my long-term health more than eating that croissant every day. But once a week, it's just a little blip on the radar. Everything will be fine and it will all work out. It's just not a big deal to me anymore. And living my life without my weekly croissant is just sad. And I don't want to be restrictive with my eating like that. Another example of me living in this 80-20 is trying to really consciously accept last-minute plans. So previously, this would have given me so much anxiety and I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have accepted because my hair wasn't washed and blown out perfectly or... I had planned to finish my book that night, or I didn't have an outfit that I liked that was clean and washed. These are just ridiculous reasons to avoid spontaneous plans. Now I try really hard to commit to some of those. Not all the time, but just occasionally when someone says, hey, you want to go grab lunch or coffee today? I really try to push myself to agree to the things that weren't on the schedule. If we close ourselves down to those new opportunities, the universe is going to stop presenting them to us, and that's not what we want either. And those are quite often the times where you have the best memories, when things didn't exactly go to plan and something amazing happened anyway. I also just try to be more generally relaxed about my to-do list. Look, if it happens, it happens, and that's great. And if it doesn't, I am not stressing about it anymore. I don't care. I have way more valuable places to commit my energy to, and it's all going to work out, and it's all going to be fine. So if any of this resonated with you today, I would just encourage you to reflect. What are those areas where you can just loosen up the reins a little bit? Where can you try and add some spontaneity into your schedule? And I realize by saying add it into your schedule, it sounds a little schedule but you know what I mean. 
Where is there space for freedom and flexibility? And how can you lean into that? Take some time to think about it. Okay, friends, if you want to join a community of amazing wellness witches, please hop over to Instagram and give us a follow at Heal Yourself with L-O-A. That's L-O-A as in the law of attraction. All the other social links and contact details are all in the show notes if you need them. That's all for today, witches. Peace, love, and mung beans. Bye.